Hey, welcome to the Project Church podcast. My name is Caleb Cole. I'm the lead pastor here at Project Church in downtown Sacramento. And we're so glad that you came to hear this word. We believe this is going to encourage you, build you up, and give you life. So get ready to receive a message from God. Father God, we thank you for who you are. This is the day that you have made. We rejoice and we are glad in it. We know that every good and perfect gift comes down from you. So it should cause us to be bold, but at the same time, humble. Uh, Yeah, you say if you've been given the gift to speak, speak as if God himself is speaking through you, whether you're hospitable, whatever it is, is to honor and glorify you. So I pray that you would use me now, Holy Spirit, to speak to your people. Uh, Let it be something transformative that takes root and bears fruit, not only in their lives, but in the lives of those who they uh, are around every day, from spouses to children to those that they work with. We thank you and praise you. Have your way, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. So we're talking about the, the, the glory, and the title for this message this morning is Faith Revolution, Giving God the Glory. Amen? So we're going to talk about revolutions, but what about resolutions? Can we be honest? Raise your hand if you had a resolution about eating better and you've stuck to it so far. Okay, about three of you. I see, I see. Um, what about working out? So I'm going to go to the gym four times. Okay, okay, I like it, I like it. So what's the difference between a resolution and a revolution? A resolution why so many people, before we even get to February, already fall off because a resolution is just what you intend to do. But a lot of us intend to do a lot of things, right? I'm going to do X, Y, and Z, and then by February or March, we usually fall off. But the difference is that a revolution is not something that you just say and intend to do. It's about a journey that you embark upon. It's something you're truly committed to putting in the work, not just saying something, actually putting in the work. And so revolution means to rise up against something to make a change. And oftentimes the thing that we need to rise up against is ourselves and some of our old ways and patterns and habits. It took me years to figure out the best game plan to maximize my time and efforts. There's an amazing book by James Clear called Atomic Habits. And as I'm diving through this book, I'm starting to challenge myself. We have the same 24 hours. How can I maximize my time and efforts? Uh, I usually live a sedentary lifestyle uh, for portions of my work where I have to check in with people and make calls. So now, uh, what I've tended to do is, you know, invested in some shoes, I'll walk and make calls. Uh, the other thing is I have, a, I have a rower. So now while I'm watching amazing movies, a very spiritual movie that you may have seen before called Nacho Libre. Um, <laughs> hey, it is. He says, don't you want a little taste of the glory? See what it tastes like. So in the beginning, he's all about receiving the glory. And at the end, it's all about God giving the glory and blessing those kids. Anyways, um, amazing movie. So I'm watching that movie for 45 minutes. I'm rowing. I'm, I'm able to accomplish two things that I'm trying to do. And so I had to figure this out. What is my green zone? My green zone, green zone meaning the time that you're most effective, the time where you should be thinking deeply, uh, shark creating recipes or writing books, whatever it may be. I figured out for me, for some people, it's being up late at night. For me, it's 7 to 11 a.m. I shouldn't be working out at that time. I need to be thinking deeply, crafting sermons, working on books, whatever it may be. You have to figure out what it is for you. And so there's two big steps, next steps, that preceded my physical and spiritual revolution. The first step is the challenging step. It's admitting that I was wrong about certain things. There's a study that came out that said it's more challenging for women to admit that they're wrong. Um, I don't know if I agree with that study. I don't know, babe. Do you agree with that study? But... (laughs) 
I saw a guy, he's sitting next to his wife, he did like this. <laughs> but honestly, it's something we all struggle with. Who wants to admit that they're wrong? Nobody wants to admit that, that they're wrong. But the other thing I had to do is, I had to have faith that God was leading me down the right path. I admitted that I was wrong. Isn't that what the gospel is? Surrendering, admitting that I've sought autonomy. I've wanted to do my own thing. And we all do. That's what our flesh wants to do, its own thing, lead you to destruction. I have to surrender, and I have to allow God to begin to lead me. And so we're talking about revolutions, right? But Hebrews 11 and 1 talks about faith. It says, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. It's, it's, it's God's warranty that certifies that the revelation will come to pass. It's the assurance that what God showed you will happen in his timing. What has God been showing you throughout the years? I remember back in 2005, I would go to the Boys and Girls Clubs and YMCA in the hood in Hunters Point, and it was the very first time that I ever spoke, and I was up in front of uh, the audience, and they said, just share your, you know, share your story with the kids. And so I didn't know it was the first time I ever shared my testimony, and I had no fear of public speaking which I still haven't quite figured myself out because I'm very much so an introvert. She was like, you can come out on the stage. I said, I wait till the last, last second. And I, I very much so need to recharge after this, I'll be drained and I'll need some time to myself. I haven't figured out myself, but the one thing that I've learned, I can't operate by my feelings. I have to operate by my calling. I know that God has called me to do this. And so by faith, I allow him to lead me. I allow him to use me. Maybe Tony, Dr. Tony Evans, who's one of my favorite pastors, who he's never missed. Every sermon he preaches is just amazing and filled with wisdom. His definition of faith is this. I love it. He says, faith is acting like God is telling the truth. Here, what's the key word? Acting. You can't just hear it. You have to put it to action. Matter of fact, I say it's, it's kind of disrespectful to God, to the Holy Spirit, to come, uh, to come and sit in a worship service and not have any mechanism in taking notes. Because the Holy Spirit is speaking directly to every single one of you, depending on where you're at in your life, different portions of it will hit you. What are you going to do with it? Faith is acting like God is telling the truth. God, I read your word. I heard your word. Now what am I going to do? What am I going to take action on? When we, when we take action by faith, things begin to happen that we can't even explain. So all we can do is give God glory. To this day, I cannot explain how I was the 11th receiver in camp with the 49ers that said only five of you are going to make it during the first meeting. I cannot explain how I made the team. I just say it was God. No one got hurt. I can't even articulate, okay, this happened. No, I, I don't know. But it was part of God's plan for my life. So before we get any farther, can we just take a moment to give God glory for making it to 2024? I think sometimes we take it for granted. The fact that you're here means you have purpose, means you have breath, means you, you, you are alive. The fact that your kids are still okay in this crazy school system, the fact that you are clothed in your right mind, the fact that God exposed some people last year that you shouldn't have been dealing with. He also exposed some things about you that needed to change as well. I give God glory for being able to do what I do. Even the fact that in the story of Job, God protects us from God's fought battles and won battles for us that we don't even know are happening. And so I thank him for that. But the fact of the matter is that God will meet us right where we're at. And so a little bit, little bit of biblical background is just that. Christ meets us where we're at. And that is the gospel. Wherever you were at, I don't know if it was at a church service. I don't know if it's like me in my apartment dealing with depression. Christ met me where I was at. 
Has God ever met you in a place of pain or brokenness, loneliness, or even hopelessness? Not only will Christ meet you in your need, he will show you how you too can have a faith revolution. But don't miss this. Your faith revolution won't happen on your own. Well, see, we're focusing on Saul, also called Paul today. He was on the right path, but headed to do the wrong thing. Have you ever been headed to do the wrong thing before? So some, some silent, yeah, yes. Yeah, we all have. Headed to do some dirt, and God had to wreck your plans and get you right. See, Saul had recently approved of the stoning of Stephen and desired to destroy the church. So approve of, in the Greek, it just means that he was voting for it. He literally voted for Stephen to be stoned. And so now he has a letter from the high priest of the Jewish ruling council to go to Damascus to bind up and arrest. At that time, they called them people of the way. Uh, it just means at that time, that's what Christianity was referred to, people of the way. Why? Because we know that Jesus is what? The way, the truth, and the life. And he desired to bring them back to Jerusalem to potentially be executed just like Stephen was. But the resurrected Christ met Saul on the road to Damascus and turned his life around. Aren't you glad that Jesus reaches people that some of us may think are beyond reaching? I am grateful for that. I'm not going to dive into my upbringing and my story, but I used to tell my dad that I hated him because of all the hell he caused at home on a pretty much daily basis. But that same father growing up that I said that I hated surrendered his life to Christ some 14 years ago and now leads Bible studies and sends me text messages every single morning. God can reach anybody he decides to reach. He can reach the person that we may have even given up on. Have you ever wondered why he's called Saul and Paul? And I read this even studying, uh, just to give you guys a little bit of background. Uh, in, in those times, dual names were common. So in Acts 13 and 9, it confirms it when it says, then Saul, who was also called Paul. But from that, but from that verse on, Saul is always referred to in Scripture as Paul. So to keep it simple, he was Jewish by birth, Roman by citizenship, Greek by education, and Christian by grace. Saul was a very nuanced individual. And I, I can't pinpoint why he starts using Paul in place of Saul, but Jesus doesn't change his name after his conversion. But, but Paul did write about becoming all things to all people. So it would make sense going with the name Paul, which literally means little or small, because he desired to, to become smaller to present Christ as greater. It reminds me of, of what John said. He says, he must become greater, I must become less. And so the big question we're going to uh, at least begin to dive into this morning is how can we experience a faith revolution that gives God glory? Because that's what our life should be all about, giving God glory. But before we even get into point number one, I think Paul and John give us a major key to accomplishing this. It's we must, we must become smaller and Christ must become greater. He must. So I'm sorry to any uh, Kansas City Chiefs fans in the building. Um, not so much the Chiefs, but I'm sorry to any Swifties in here. So I want to give you a comparison really quick. That's what it's called, right? If you like, I, I never heard of music, but that's, apparently that's what they're called, Swifties. So Taylor Swift shows up to the game with Brittany Mahomes, I think her name is, and the focus is on her. Got a new jacket. Look at her jacket. It's all about her. Her album's coming out. On, do what you do. On the other end, there's a player... Probably my favorite player in the NFL right now, C.J. Stroud. Quarterback, rookie quarterback for the Texans. So they come to him 
and he has an opportunity to receive all this glory. C.J. Stroud, you're a rookie quarterback. No rookie quarterback and a rookie head coach have ever made the playoffs in their first year. You missed a few games, and you still have the third amount of passing yards in the NFL history. Uh, you did all these things. They're, they're their second overall draft pick. What are you going to—you guys won your game. You guys blew out the team that was supposed to beat you last night. What does he say every single time? No, no, no. Uh, I, I want to give my Lord and Savior— Jesus Christ. I want to give praise and honor to him. We must become smaller. Even when people are trying to lift us up and put us on a pedestal, pedestal we must become smaller and Christ must become greater. So how can we experience a faith revolution that gives God glory? Point number one is this. Allow God to wreck our plans. Allow God to wreck our plans. We're going to be reading in Acts chapter 9. Uh, verses 1 through 7. It says, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus. So this is after the stoning of Stephen. So that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven, not the sun, a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. So Saul, if you will, was like this religious bounty hunter now headed to Damascus, a city about 135 to 150 miles north of Jerusalem. Sometimes when you read the Bible, you have to stop and put that in proper context. So I looked up a, I looked up a map and I put some cities in San Jose. No, Santa Cruz is about 140 miles from here. Could you imagine walking to Santa Cruz? Could you imagine something that you would be so excited and zealous and passionate about that it would cause you to start walking to Santa Cruz. Now, the thing that people get, that, that, they, that they misinterpret, just like they say, Adam ate the apple, the Bible says nothing about that. It doesn't say that he was on a horse and God threw him off a horse. That's what you will hear sometimes. It just says that he fell to the ground. So whether you're on a horse or walking, it's going to take weeks to get there. But here's my point. He was so passionate about that that he was willing to do it. Have you ever been so excited and passionate or loved somebody so much that you did something that people think was crazy? I, uh, my wife, who's sitting in this front row, um, praise God for my amazing wife. Now I've been married for 14 awesome years. I know I look like I'm 28, I'm 42, but back in the day, like way back in the day, uh, I'm a little bit ahead of her in school. So she drove from East Oakland to Sacramento to get me on Thanksgiving, drove back to Oakland so I could experience uh, uh, Thanksgiving with her family because my family is now in Arizona, then drove me all in the same day back to Sacramento because I had football practice the next day and then drove back to Oakland. Don't tell me you ain't done nothing, nothing like that before somebody you, who you love. But she loved me and cared for me that much. There was a time back in the day when I was really into rap and spoken word. And uh, my, my, my friend Kelvin would have this event called First Friday. And you never know who's going to be there. Uh, one time, Common was there, Mally Music, all these amazing artists that he's in a relationship with. And I would drive, I think I did it two or three times. I would drive from Sacramento to Reseda just to perform one song right before the, the main act. And then I would grab a hamburger or whatever and drive back home in the same day, because I was that passionate about what I was doing at that time in, in my life. So what we see 
The same thing with Saul. We see how serious Saul is about his current mission because it could have taken several weeks to get to Damascus with the, with the sole goal of imprisoning the people of the way. But check this out. Christ's love for us is so much different than our love for us. Example, if you attacked my three beautiful children that are here right now, if you attacked them or you did something to them, there would be no Saul, Saul. There would be no my brother, my brother. Why did you attack my son? It would be two-piece and a biscuit, maybe with some honey, right? There's no, there's no, let's call Caleb and Christian and have a meeting about it. There's no discussion. But Christ's love for us is so much different. He says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Maybe you caught it. He was not literally attacking Jesus himself. He was attacking his people. God identifies so much with us that when you are being attacked, when the body of Christ is being attacked, he considers it a personal attack on him. That's how much he loves you. But also because he loves you that much, I would imagine that he also gets frustrated and heartbroken when we place our faith in other things. When it's time to write our goals and vision and we're consulting our horoscope. And he said, you don't need to look at the horoscope. I'm the one that made the stars, hung them in the sky, and even named them. You need to focus on me. Your faith should be in me. Your focus should be on me. I know Saul couldn't fully comprehend this. But God shows Saul so much grace. He actually answers Stephen's prayer. When Stephen is martyred uh, in Acts 760, Stephen's last words are, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. So you can't pray. Can you imagine praying that prayer? Can you, first of all, can you imagine being stoned? No. And while you're being stoned, they're literally throwing rocks at you until you die, and you say, Lord, don't hold this against them. I would say, Lord, let me loose so I can go out fighting. <laughs> but this is his prayer. He's led. He's full of the Spirit. And that prayer is answered. In that moment, it didn't matter which name he went by, whether Saul or Paul, there was only one name that could save him. And that, that, that one name introduces himself with his personal name, Jesus. He could have used other names. I'm the Messiah, I'm the Lord. He uses Jesus. Why? Because Saul needed a savior and Jesus means Jehovah saves. Who do you need him to be for you in this season of your life? There's been seasons where I needed peace, so I called on Jehovah Shalom. Well, I needed provision, so I called on Jehovah Jireh. But he, whatever you need him to be, he is the great I am. He will stand in the gap for you. Whatever you need to be, you can call on him, and he will be that. There's nobody on this earth, my wife, myself, whoever, your pastors, at some point they will let you down. But it's not even in Christ's DNA to let you down. See, there's things that, that would have been detrimental to us if, if God didn't wreck our plans, if we're being honest. That, that job, that relationship that you really wanted. Ladies, you first met him, you was calling him Bay, And then you had a couple dates and you saw that his inside wasn't as fine as his outside. And then it went from talking to the girls about Bay to bruh. I can't, I can't deal with this guy anymore. Fellas, you thought that she, we went back, oh, she's bad. And then you discovered that she was just bad for you. But, but, but now we have an opportunity to willingly surrender our plans to God. But our, our, our vision and goals that we wrote out, or maybe you're not finished with them yet, we're still working on ours, they need to meet at the intersection of faith and the word of God. Because if they meet at the intersection of faith and the word of God, then God gets all the glory. 
If you don't consult God about your plans, then you'll be tempted to say, I, I wrote these plans out and I accomplished these plans and, and, and steal the glory from God, which is a very dangerous thing to do. But, but, but understand this. Sometimes God will wreck our plans so our plans don't wreck us. There's things I'm grateful. I am grateful that I did not have as long of a career in the NFL as I wanted. Because of the trajectory, if I reverse engineer it, I gave my life to Christ after I got released. I started my faith revolution after I got released. So I can't even say that I would be here now, but this is God's plan for me and I'm grateful for it. So how can we experience a faith revolution that gives God glory? Point number two is this. Let God expose our blind spots. See, blind spots can be scary. And even if you're sitting here right now saying, I don't have any blind spots, that's yours. The fact that you don't think you have any. We all have some blind spots. Have you ever, I'm not knocking people that ride motorcycles, but it just seems like it's a dangerous thing. Have you ever been in your car and didn't even know the motorcycle was passing you until it, was pa until it passed you? As safe as our vehicles are, even they have blind spots. And one of mine, by faith, that I've grown in immensely over the years is confrontation. So it kind of fluctuated. I, I grew up in the Yo Mama era, to where that's how most of the caps started. And because of the context of how it was in my home, literally fist-fighting my dad a couple times growing up, if anyone said Yo Mama to me, two-piece. <sighs> Biscuit. A few times, but then I became a very mild-mannered, right? Through the Word of God, the grace of God, I became very, almost on the uh, uh, opposite end of that spectrum to where I had to learn how to confront people the right way. And I've grown to where now, I used to be like, oh, I don't know, to where I'm going to tell you what I need to tell you, but it's going to be clothed in grace and truth. I'm going to say it in love. What is it? What are, what are your blind spots? What are the things that you need to grow and areas you need to, to get better in? But here's the catch. You need someone that genuinely cares about you to lovingly point those things out. And my wife loves to point out my blind spots. But that's a good wife, right? But I'm being serious. I actually, I, I, I welcome it. We have regular conversations about you know, areas that I'm tripping in. I need to get better, but it's okay. And there's areas that I continue to grow in. It's a, it's a journey. It's a faith revolution. But honestly, you need a trustworthy team of people. Sometimes you can hear a pastor talk about it, and then you just start going and telling everybody. No, you need to pray about who are the right people that I can share this sensitive information with. I was honored yesterday. A guy from our church uh, said, I, I need to have a conversation with you. I had no idea what it was about, what it was about. And all these pastors, he decided that I was trustworthy enough to share some intimate uh, details about struggles in his marriage. You got to find the right people that are going to hold confidence to what they share to you, but that also are seasoned enough and mature enough to give you some godly wisdom and point you back to Christ. So we see this in scripture with Saul. Let's read Acts chapter 9, verse 8 through 12. It says, Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias uh, come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. See, in the midst of your faith revolution, it might feel like all hell is breaking loose. You might feel like you're going crazy, and I've been there a few times, even during the pandemic. You might feel confused like Saul must have been when he was blinded and thrown onto the ground. But, but here's what's crazy about this story. This is wild. Saul thinks that he's doing the right thing. 
in Jesus' name. Wrestle with this this week. Could it be, could it be possible that if the man that wrote two-thirds of the books in the New Testament was doing the wrong thing in Jesus' name, that maybe we are? Could you be passionately and zealously doing the wrong thing, thinking you're doing it for Christ? Just a question to, to think about. Saul's temporary blindness was pointing to his spiritual blindness. He saw Jesus the wrong way. And so even Saul having to be led by the hand reminds me that my faith revolution can't happen until I stop trying to lead the Lord and say, these are my plans, come follow me and allow the Lord to lead me. See, the, the, the first response of a true conversion is submission. It's recognizing, see, we don't, we don't make Jesus Lord. We recognize that he is. And then we start following him and we allow him to lead us. So now Saul has a team that's going to help him on his faith revolution. It says, so they led him by the hand into Damascus, where? To the home of Judas, where he was praying. See, God wants to use his people to help you experience a faith revolution too. And in verse 13, it says, Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. So this is Ananias' nice way of saying, God, I'm not trying to fool with him. Do you know what he just did? And he goes on to say it. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. I want to stop there for a minute. What stuck out to me is when it says, when he says, uh, when God's talking about Saul or Paul, he is my chosen instrument. And I know there's people in here that maybe that's your blind spot. Maybe that's what you struggle with is realizing that God chose you. You're his chosen instrument. I know there's people that have gone through a lot in life and they think that they've been through too much for God to use you. And that's a lie. You haven't done enough dirt for God to save you. You haven't done so much that God can't wash you in his blood and use you. See, instruments are expertly crafted to create beautiful sounds and joyful noises when they're placed in the right hands. And that's the good news, is that you're already in the right hands when you're in the hands of the master. And the song God will sing through your life is too beautiful to be added to anyone's playlist. But maybe that's your blind spot, I don't know. But speaking of blind spots, when you let God expose your blind spots, he'll also expose a testimony. A testimony so incredible that all you'll be able to do is give God glory. There's an incredible story in John chapter 9. Um, should read it when you get a second. It's actually pretty amusing. It's a story about when Jesus heals a man who was born blind. And so these religious leaders who have the Torah memorized, they're supposed to be very uh, astute and have all this wisdom. They're going to this, this young man who was born blind. And they're asking them, how did you get healed? And he tells them plainly, uh, yeah, this, this dude right here, this guy named Jesus, who you guys are calling a sinner, he told me to put mud on my eyes, go down to the pool, and uh, I was able to see. And they keep asking him more questions, say, who is he? He says, he's a, he's a prophet. And so they're done with him because they're not believing him. They believe Jesus is a sinner, so they go to his parents. And the parents aren't trying to hear it. They say, go talk to my son. He's, grown, he's a grown man. Okay, let's go back to him. And then you get to verse 24 and 25, and it's very powerful what he says. And so they keep trying to jam him up about who he is or what he did. And listen to what he says in, in John, in verses 24 and 25. He says, a second time they summoned the man who had been blind. 
Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man, talking about Jesus, is a sinner. He replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Is that your testimony? Do you have a, all I know? I can say that I don't know how it happened, how I got to this point, but I know that I used to be a thief. I know that I used to be a liar, but all I know is I embarked upon a faith revolution and I'm right here today proclaiming the word of God. All I know is that I was blind and now I can see. People will say that about my brother who's a pastor and a principal. People that haven't talked to us in years will find out. They will literally laugh and say, Charles? The same thing every time. Charles, Chuck, he ain't, no, he ain't no principal. Like, yes, he is. And I've encountered so many kids, like hundreds of kids that'll stop me and say, you look like him, you must be. Yeah, that's my brother. And they have an amazing testimony about what he did, how he spoke into their lives. All I know I was blind, but now I see. And, 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 and you don't have to wait until the trial is over to experience the glory of God. The three Hebrew boys would testify to that. They would testify that they witnessed and experienced the glory of God in the trial. So much so that when the trial was over, they, you couldn't even tell that they went through a trial. You don't have to wait. You can praise God right now. He is, you will experience his glory in the midst of your trials too. And here's the final point. Let God give us new vision and purpose. Verse 18 through 22. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once, he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on this name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. You see, our, our faith should point to our newness, our new life, our new mission, and our new purpose. But here's what grabbed my attention as I read this passage over and over again in light of the question, how can we experience a faith revolution that gives God glory? It's not enough just to have a revolution. It needs to point to God. It needs to give him glory. How? There's one word that I saw. Surrender. Surrender. Saul surrenders to Christ's plan. Judah surrenders. Ananias surrenders. The disciples in Damascus all surrender, even though they know what Saul has just done. In verse 27, if you read along, Barnabas surrenders. When everybody's scared of him, Barnabas is the one that takes Saul in. Here's why it's important. Barnabas' name literally means son of encouragement. So while I have my wife and others that will lovingly check me, challenge me, and call me out, I also need some people on my side that will encourage me and say, brother, don't quit. Keep going. I see God's call on your life. I had a couple of those calls this past week. Matter of fact, I oversee young adults at our church and one of them showed up at the first service just to support. And it was a blessing to see her in the building. And now she's serving at the church. You need people to lovingly encourage you as well. But a part of surrendering is repenting and there can be no reconciliation with God without repentance. So what is it that maybe I've been thinking about this that I need to repent of before I go any farther into this new year. 
has it been my way instead of Yahweh? See, Saul was blinded for three days. Christ was in the tomb for three days. The spiritual takeaway is that there must be a death before there can be a new life. We see Paul in the perfect position when he's thrown to the ground. He's low, he's broken. He can only look up. And that's the perfect position to be in for transformation, for your revolution. So what in me needs to die? Because we all need a faith revolution. And here's the final thought. The revolution won't be televised. Any revolution that's ever happened, it started in the heart of a person or a group. They had this idea before it manifested or became something tangible. It started with a thought, it started in their heart and your faith revolution won't be any different. So maybe the most revolutionary thing that you can do is maybe to actually start taking a Sabbath, taking a break and stop doing what the nation of Israel was doing when they were in bondage, which was working themselves to death. Maybe it's an extended break from social media, whatever God is speaking to you about. Maybe it's admitting, like I did in my first step, that I need help, and then taking the necessary steps to get it. Maybe it's creating a regular rhythm of prayer. Could it be that there's some prayers that God hasn't answered simply because we haven't prayed them yet? We haven't slowed down enough to spend time with God and not only pray, not a monologue, but actually listen. Maybe it's receiving prayer today so you can begin your faith revolution. I know there's a prayer team, and in a second I'm going to pray, but you're going to have the opportunity as they sing worship to come up and receive prayer. But the fact is that your revolution won't begin until you get to the end of yourself. If you don't get to the end of yourself, why would you need the Holy Spirit? You got it. You come to the end of yourself, Holy Spirit can take over. Because you're not relying on your own strength. God never asks us to be strong. My power is perfected in your weakness. Last thing I want to share is this. I spoke here on boys' night. And it was funny because I was under the impression I was speaking to 7th through 12th graders, which is like my sweet spot with FCA. But it was 7 years old through 12 years old. So how I'm preaching now, I was preaching like this to them. It's like, Lord, help me to... Help me to break it down and make it plain to these babies. But in my faith revolution, I've learned how to get out of my comfort zone. As a natural introvert, I need to recharge. So usually Friday, I'm trying to go on a date with my wife. I'm just trying to chill and veg. But like God was like, no, you need to say yes to this. You need to come and speak. And so I did it. I brought my son. He brought two of his friends. I'm forever grateful for pastors Caleb and Chrissy. I'm forever grateful for this church because my eight-year-old boy gave his life to Christ at boys' night. But it starts with your yes. Spiritual maturity is not an age, it's a decision. Maybe some of you today need to make that decision. I need to start my faith journey so I can experience true transformation. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for who you are. Humble every time I get an opportunity to share your word because I know that I'm nothing. But you, for whatever reason, in your grace, decide to use me so I thank you for that. I pray that every single person here, dear Lord, that you would have them take an account of where they're at, where their blind spots are. Have them take an account of, am I being discipled? Am I discipling someone? Those are the things that aren't suggestions. Those are commands. And I pray that you would bring us the right people, the right resources that we need. 
I pray that you would use us mightily in this year so that we don't have to get to the beginning of 2025 talking about resolutions. We can give praise reports on the revolution that happened within us. So I thank you and praise you for who you are, Father God. Have your way in and through your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks so much for tuning in to the Project Church podcast. We pray and hope that this message encouraged you, built you up, and gave you life. We want to ask that you would invest right now in what God is doing here in downtown Sacramento. We've just recently moved in to our all-new building in the waterfront, Old Sacramento District. We want to ask you, if you'd like to give, you can go to projectchurch.com forward slash give to invest. Let's see all that God can do through us.